Welcome to Dig It. This is Edge with my co-host Corey Lynn of Corey's Digs, and today we have a very special guest, so I'm going to hand it over to Corey for the introduction. Today's going to be awesome. How you doing, John? Very well. Nice to see you again, Corey. You too. So we have with us John Clar, who I had on the Solution Series a few weeks back, and which, of course, we speak pretty much solely on the solutions. So I wanted to have him on so we can kind of just have discussions on many topics here, and, and we'll include solutions as well. So let me just uh, give John a little introduction here on his background. He uh, was a tax attorney for several years and then practiced criminal and family litigation. In 1997, John was stricken with undiagnosed Lyme disease, and he and his wife, Jackie, purchased a former dairy farm in Vermont's remote Northeast Kingdom and began farming. John became aware of where his food came from, but also the laws and economic favoritism for industrial farming that undermine small farms as well as food safety and freshness. And you write, uh, you write for a lot of publications, but you also have your own Substack and uh, your website. And you recently wrote the book, um, which is available for pre-order right now. Is it still pre-order, John? It's no longer pre-order. It's officially out now. It's officially out. So highly recommend this. It's Small Farm Republic, Why Conservatives Must Embrace Local Agriculture, Reject Climate Alarmism, and Lead an Environmental Revival. And this is by um, your publishers, Chelsea Green Publishing, and the forward was by Joel Salatin, and I'm familiar with both. So fantastic. Um, why don't we start by you sharing with people what this book is about and what inspired you to write it. Well, hopefully the book, uh, and thanks so much for having me. Uh, we had so much fun last time. Let's have some fun. Yeah, that, that was um, fun. The, the book, which Chelsea Green helped me shape some ideas I've had, it tries to hit a unique niche, which is persuading more conservatives to understand the importance of local food. And there are certain pains I go to in the book to get away from some of the dichotomies that lead us into lead us into conflict instead of unity. And this is really common. We, you know, we're so fractured in so many areas, and this is true also in environmental policy. Um, so particularly the book tries to demonstrate that if you're a conservative and you don't believe in global warming, you could still support local agricultural and regenerative uh, pro uh, processes because sequestering soil in the earth is really good for soil erosion, water retention, uh, more productive soils, better crops, whether or not you believe carbon is warming the planet, but also supporting local farms, supports local current uh, uh, communities, their cultures, their economies, helps uh, restore the land and help more young people to move back into the countryside. And it's also very much about food security. I have a chapter about food security. And I think more people since COVID are realizing that this fabulous miraculous industrial food system has some hidden costs. And one of them is the destruction of the microbiome and our food supply and our own health. But one of them is an increasing vulnerability to dependency on a massive system that is highly technological, dependent almost completely on fossil fuels and is increasingly international. So we saw disruptions in COVID in the grocery stores. We've seen uh, Russia interrupt Ukraine shipments of, of um, grains. We see China looking over uh, the water at Taiwan. And when you start looking at what those kinds of global aspects could have as an impact in this food system that we take for granted, then you suddenly understand. And, and again, whether you're 
a liberal or a conservative shouldn't matter. These are things that should unite us. So I'm trying to help bring more conservatives with Joel's help to the table where we can find unity with people on, on both sides, but also to counter this growing movement towards a global domination of our food supply. And so I'm really excited to see the book is it's been staying pretty strongly at number one in food and agricultural policy um, at, at Amazon. People are getting it and the people are getting the ideas, but also they, they're getting the book. And I hope people will consider looking at the book because it equips people. It equips people chapter by chapter in areas where I did a lot of research to explain what's going on in other areas than just carbon, um, particularly soil erosion, water loss what's in the food, glyphosate, the chemicals. And at the same time, the WAF is telling us how they're going to save us by dominating everything. So somewhere this is coming to a collision course. And that's why I think it's great that you and others are picking up on its importance. Yeah, the climate crisis has been off the hook the past few weeks. They've been really amping it up hard. And of course, they're putting, you know, cows and agriculture at, at the top of the list there as the main main target, um, all, of course, insinuating that this is, you know, climate crisis is human caused. We're now at climate boiling. <laughs> so, right. so, so Biden comes out with this, which we all knew it was coming. He comes out with this hazard alert that we know is going to move into this emergency climate crisis that's supposedly allegedly going to constitutionally allow him to invoke all of these new laws and policies and regulations. Uh, and so I want to get your thoughts on because they target they're targeting agriculture with this. And so what they say, I'm just going to read this two little sentences here. They say the White House attributed the heat wave to the climate crisis. In addition to the hazard alert, the Labor Department will increase enforcement of heat safety violations and conduct additional inspections in high-risk industries like construction and agriculture, as OSHA works on creating a national standard for workplace heat safety rules. So this is, this is the beginning of what I believe is going to turn into a series of added inspections, more policies and regulations, all under the guise of climate. And I'm just wondering, you know, of course they're saying agriculture because a lot of the workers work out in the heat, but I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this when, when you heard this news, I'm sure you're familiar with this news. Well, it, so to get to the root of things, so I, I'll say one thing. So I don't really come out and say this as much in the book as I do in interviews like yours, but also so many things are happening so quickly, even yeah. since the book was in its final edit back in March. And we've seen the push in Ireland and Holland and Belgium, and it's maturing elsewhere to get rid of cows. And actually, I have an article out today. I'm now writing, you mentioned I write, I'm now a staff writer. I'm happy to announce to your listeners with Liberty Nation. If you haven't checked them out, they're really they're really growing. And I, and I have an article today about uh, cow flatulence and comparing it um, to these claims made. And, and they don't want me to use the fart word. So the left uses that. I guess we'll use flatulence. Um, there are two kinds of people in the world right now, those who do and those who do not understand that their food supply is vulnerable and, and at some point is likely to be interrupted. It, it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter how rich you are. You're either one group or another. And there are other greater minds than mine that I could point to for that. 
And so what you see happening right now with uh, Joe Biden and, and the globalists is they're tightening the screws on the food supply in the name of helping us. They're tightening the screws on vaccines and pandemics in the name of helping us. They're telling us now that they have to equitably solve the world's disparities in wealth by reallocating food. It's right in there. It's in the Green New Deal. It's in his executive orders. And so many Americans' eyes are focused on things like free speech rights or gun rights. But those are gone when you lose your food. And when you look at the history of Marxism and Marxists and neo-Marxism and tyranny in places like, um, you know, under Stalin or Mao, you'll see that food can pretty quickly be used to dominate a country and a culture. And that's really what's underneath all of this. And I can prove that. And the way I prove that is, and in my book and elsewhere, I prove that, because by the way, you, everything I just said, if you looked at my book as a backdrop, it's not directly, I mean, I talk about some of these issues, but not but you'll see, understand that we're talking about a 70 year uh, transition that happened before I started to be born, before I was born, before I started to be born, when my <laughs> grandfather's farm right here, right just a mile from here, not even as a dairy farmer in Vermont was shut down because they required bulk tanks. It was cost prohibitive. Mm. Um, the farm up the road, I talked to the farmer recently, I'm going to interview him again. And so they made him put in stainless steel uh, platforms for his cows to walk on, or I don't know if it, yeah, it was stainless steel because they were worried about bacteria in the wood. So he had to upgrade. They slipped and fell all over the place and broke legs. We have technocrats deciding how our food is coming from. California and PETA are starting to impact the food industry by you know animal rights movements. But the constant theme is it shuts down the little guy and it helps the big guy. New laws passed in June, federal laws restrict what I can buy for antibiotics for my animals. I have 16 cows right here. I have another one on the way. I have 60 sheep. I have a cow with pink eye. First time I've ever had a cow with pink eye. Bear with me, everybody, I hope you bear with me. So I went to go to Tractor Supply and get some pink eye medication. Apparently new federal law, I can't buy it because it's it might be overprescribed. So I can only get it now if I go to a veterinarian, I call the veterinarian and she's got to come out and look at my cow. And I'm going to spend $300 instead of just having a $10. So we we, we found some um, pink eye medication in New Hampshire, drove over, we're in Vermont. We've been treating our cow with pink eye because I'm not paying somebody 250 bucks to drive out here. This is an example of how they have tightened and tightened and tightened regulations on processing, on all, but they always hurt the little guy and not the big guy. Now, on the other side, and forgive me if I'm taking too long. Is this okay? No, you're yeah, good. Keep going. All right, because I'm excited and I'm mid-rant now. <laughs> now let's just look at what else is happening now if we really there's a writer named wendell berry who i've mentioned and you may know him he's been writing about this for 60 years about how it is that we've moved people into the cities away from the food and the culture that upon which they're dependent that we destroy the food we destroy the animals we debase ourselves when we do this and we've lost culture and now people are moving back into the country but over that 60 or 70 year period there has been a collusion like so many captive regulatory agencies and RFK Jr. just did or is about to do a, 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 a series about this, that the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the FDA and the others have been really the agents of companies like Monsanto and Dow and DuPont, who are really chemical sales companies. And these companies have come into the food industry and seen the massive profits they can make, multi-trillion dollar industry. So over this 70 years, these industries coupled with universities 
and government have been telling small farmers that they have to get bigger, get out. You have to get a bulk tank. You have to have more animals. You have to have this. You need a big tractor. And almost all of these advances have been at the detriment of local farms, at the detriment of animals, and the detriment of the environment and soil. Okay, Glyphosate, Roundup, compression of soil, high amounts of tilling, which tear up the earth and destroy the microbiome, increasing erosion. Right? This is what the book's about. So we've been doing this for 70 years, and now all of a sudden we're on the cusp not just of COVID, but a globalist movement to solve the climate problem, back to what you're saying, by taking over food supplies, because after all, agriculture is this big contributor. They're not going after horse riders. They're not going after fireworks displays or lawnmowers or uh, people going on jet trips or going skiing on mountaintops. You'd have a really a huge backlash if you try to take away people's dogs and cats, right? Dogs and cats eat, 20, eat 25% of the meat produced in this country. Nobody go after that. They're going after my cows. Now, this is all based on false premises because the cows are not the problem. The cows being confined in industrial operations, just like monocultures like soy and corn, industrial, large scale. That's what's destroying the ecosystem, destroying our food supply, treating animals like like horribly and giving us cancer and short and, and diabetes and obesity. So now Bill Gates and the WEF are saying cows are the problem. They're going to create synthetic. This is the last step in absolutely dominating the entire food supply. And Kissinger's talked about it. Recently, unearthed documents are showing us that the Rockefeller Foundation has been talking about this since the 70s. If you control the food, you control the people. And yep. you can have all the guns yep. in the world, but you're done with your Second Amendment if you don't have a hamburger. So that's the big picture. And that's what Biden is showing us. And the next steps are there, Corey. And you're right. And more people are waking up. That's sorry. That's a long-winded answer. I think I've actually summarized it pretty well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That was perfect. Spot on. Well, in that, so this, this is interesting. So right now, in addition to this, we've got, because some people will say, well, they're just going to obliterate cows altogether. They want to wipe them out, but they don't because they are using cows and cow byproducts for so many things, big pharma, vaccines and medicines, the cosmetics industry, furniture, nutritional supplements, I could go on and on. And now we've got, uh, but of course, they're the ones capitalizing and benefiting from this. And so now we've got with the manure, and I want to know your thoughts on this, because this is starting to become a big thing with, am I saying it correctly, the anaerobic digesters? And, anaerobic digesters yeah 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 so like in california and i believe oregon and some other areas they're starting to do these whole carbon credits and these systems where they're converting it into uh the manure into natural gas and hey i'm all for repurposing and in a in a regular you know normal world i would say hey that's actually kind of cool um but i know who the big investors are and i know you know partially where this is going and so it's kind of an oxymoron we're saying well you know, I see this battle going on, you know, you got like big pharma and then you've got, and I'm actually working on a report on this right now. Um, but I'm wondering, I'm seeing these regulations come in. So what happens when they go to the dairy farm and they say, you know, we're going to implement this and now you're going to have to do this. And uh, the, this whole carbon credit system that seems like it plays out better, of course, for the big guys, and then it's going to harm the little guys. And I'm just wondering what you know with the whole, because uh, I was just finding documents from the EPA and the USDA, and this seems to be um, a pretty big pushing thing they're working on right now. 
there's a common theme. Everything that they say they're doing is the opposite of what they say they're doing. It's right out of Orwell. Yeah. You know, cash to clunkers. I don't know if we talked about this last time, but cash to clunkers was putatively, it was peddled as an environmental initiative. What it really did was accelerate sales of brand new cars by Mr. Obama. And it actually hurt the environment. Uh, they diverted a lot of cars from the road that were still drivable, that had large investments of fossil fuels in them. And they and they uh, banned you from selling parts from them. They even poured concrete into their engines. The thing was a scam. Ethanol is a scam. The Green New Deal is a scam. AOC came out originally. She said she wanted to get, she actually made the statement, well, we can't get rid of all of the cows right away. You've referenced several things now. So I'm going to hit them all now. Gates has said we can feed the world with 150 cows because that's all you need for the genetic material to grow everything you've mentioned. We didn't mention clothing as far as leather, which we've used for tens of thousands of years from cows. Um, but they have they have new replacements for that as well. PETA is in here. The animal rights thing is in here. But all of this, it's like two poles. And again, I come back to what I'm saying. You either do or don't understand where your food comes from. The Great Depression survivors knew. They didn't think it could happen, but they know it could happen again. And then on the other end, you've got people like AOC and Bill Gates who've never been near a cow. I don't think they'd smell a cow if it was sitting there. Well, they might. They know nothing about farming, and they're going to make the agricultural decisions. So let me go through a few things you just listed. Aerobic digest anaerobic digesters. So again, there's an industry to sell you equipment. Um, there's an industry to sell you uh, anaerobic digesters. Do they work? No. Mostly, I talk about this in the book. Most of the evidence and studies are showing they don't really work. And they certainly don't really work if you consider all of the externalized costs that they don't like you to count. That is in the steel and manufacturing of the equipment, uh, the shipping and transport of the installation. They're highly inefficient. You could do the same thing with solar panels and EV cars. When they tell you a solar panel is going to save energy or is going to save the environment, that is. They're only looking at the, the energy use and they're omitting deliberately the, the mines and the coal used to make it and the fact that it's manufactured in China. So the common theme in here is somebody's selling you a gadget that they're telling you is going to do something that it's not going to do. And ultimately, it's highly suspect because even if the aerobic anaerobic digester did what it said it was going to do, then you're going to sell credits to some company in California so it can keep spewing more nasty chemicals and mercury out of its smokestacks. This is what I call selling indulgences, much like the Catholic Church once did. When you sell sequestered carbon from trees here in Vermont, we're seeing a destruction of farmland as out-of-staters and hedge funds get tax credits to allow trees to grow up in perfectly good farmland that took many years back in those days with mules and, and handsaws to clear it doesn't clear quickly once you grow it back up. But guess what? It doesn't sequester as much carbon as grassland does. Or this is out of Joel Salatin. It's out of all the books I cite in my book. So this common theme here is that wherever we go, the carbon credit system is a fraud. It's a fraud because it only analyzes a, a, uh, a reductionist single substance instead of looking at all the other chemicals, the, the thousands that we create that are causing our children to have chemical uh, uh, cancer and other problems. And it doesn't look at the uh, impact on human behavior. You were talking about the new rules under Biden. When you when you pass these rules, they passed laws in, in the drought in California that you couldn't water your lawn and the water use immediately went up. And this is back to E.F. Schumacher and Wendell Berry and others. The way to solve problems like environmental pollution and farming is local. And when they tell you it's big and only big brother 
and the globalists can fix the problem, you should definitely start listening very carefully because they can't fix the problem at a global scale. They can only make it worse. So all of this we're talking about with the anaerobic digesters, let's make an immediate step to the vat meat and the synthetic meats. What will they do? Instead of me buying a cow and eating it with you, my neighbors, I have to buy meat from them that's synthetically uh, uh, made from a DNA process in a factory, maybe in Brazil. JBS is building a huge one. You may have read that they've now developed a way to splice pork or porcine DNA with soy. Okay, so you can grow a plant that's already partway there with the protein. You don't need to get rid of my cow because when you when you replace my cow with your patented, highly profitable, highly destructive and pollution generating process, you've actually polluted far more than my cow because the soy that you use, a monoculture dependent on GMO uh, uh, technologies, so Roundup chemicals, uh, Roundup and other chemicals, atrazine, all these other chemicals, they're going to harvest that. They're going to destroy and till up the soil with fossil fuels, more tractors. Then they're going to bring the soy into a factory, mix it in with some cow DNA and sell it to you and tell you that that's better for you because a cow stopped farting. But when that cow farts, it also craps. We don't have just, and by the way, 95% of the gas from the cow is, is actually from burps, from the, the rumen, all right? But what if you get rid of the cows, how will you replace the fertilizer that for thousands of years was cow and is now synthetic fertilizer. The synthetic fertilizer, the chief nitrogen source for industrial fertilization in America is urea. And urea is made almost completely from natural gas and natural gas is methane. So now we've come full circle and we really have to look at the cows because you throw out the cows, you bring in Dow and DuPont to sell you a synthetic fertilizer that they're making from natural gas, i.e. methane and a lot of other offshoots, right? They've cut you out of the equation. They've cut the farmer out of the equation. Their chemical companies are right where they've tried to be for 70 years, selling you a chemical diet, selling you stuff that's dependent for you to eat on their chemicals and destroying the soil and the water and animal health and human health in the process. Wake up, Americans. That's what's happening right now. And I think the cows are a real crux, Corey. So I'm glad you've had me back. And I hope you will again, because I think the cows just show very quickly that the jig is up that that you're this song and dance you've been playing it, it just falls dead i talk to people all the time young people people from all the people innately understand that cows are not the bad guys um the bad guys are at the wef the bad guys are in the federal government and they've been doing this steadily to us farmers for decades all right and so it's time for us to decide whether we're going to side with the small the local and the farmer we're going to go with the globalist utopian vision which is a totalitarian dystopian nightmare and we're minutes away from it we're right there yep and i and you're spot on the cows are definitely the best example and i think aoc helped us out on that when she you know brought it up saying that the farts it's the farts and everyone looks at her like oh, are you crazy but yeah you, you bring up the belching and you know there's articles going back gosh you know a decade or two that are talking about diets on changing the diets of cows so that they don't belch as much so and now we're seeing that come back around so what is this new diet that they're saying cows should eat in order to prevent them from belching so much seaweed seaweed yeah seaweed uh, so well and so you know so the way to look at this though is sometimes we don't have a perfect solution to a difficult problem mm -hmm. and one of the so so i mean i i don't really want to get drawn into the weeds of this because i'm not sure that i have to feed a cow seaweed to justify it 
So for your listeners and for you a little bit, there is a difference in the um, in the fermentation process in the rumen when an animal is fed grain versus grass. And you may have run across this, that many who are kind of like the, um, you know, the, the Exxon executives, you know, finding research to justify why oil is fine or or uh, the cigarette manufacturers burying research that shows that, you know, cigarettes are bad. Um, but they're rushing now to try to make grass-fed animals look like a bad deal. And so they say that a grass-fed cow produces more methane than a grain-fed cow. Well, that may be true because the grass-fed cow, first of all, they're, they're literally the microbes in their bodies are different. So the grass-fed cow is going to produce more methane. Um, it's also going to be take six months longer to live its natural life to size. Now, by the way, grass-fed meat is uh, dramatically healthier for you than grain-fed meat. Grain-fed meat is not how the buffalo were fed on the range. It's not natural for the cow. It actually changes even the E. coli living in their system, which is why it increases our risk also for parasitic infection, all from industrialism. So they're saying the cow's a problem, but in actuality, they didn't count the grain. Once again, like solar panels, Corey, once again, like EV cars, they just omit all the costs of production and say, isn't this magic? Isn't this wonderful? Let's just ignore that man behind the curtain who's telling you that the grain that they fed to the cows, which makes them produce less methane, itself involved a lot of costs that they've externalized and not counted. Let's count the grain production. Now let's count the glyphosate. Let's count the killing of the bees. Let's count the nicotinoids. Let's count the, the, the tilling up of the soil, the loss of hundreds of millions of tons of, of productive soil each year. And the killing of the microbiome of the soil, which then reduces productivity, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I too am oversimplifying in certain ways to make a point. Um, but ultimately, we come back to this issue of the cow being the core of the solution, not the problem. Why are they really going after cows then? You don't hear them going after pigs or chickens, do you? Pig cow, pig farts, chicken farts? That's no, right. uh, but pigs, if you study a little bit, pig manure is way more toxic. They're monogastric. They all have one stomach. They produce a horrible, horrible amount of excrement. You can't shift them to grass the way you can cows. You can't take chickens off grain and feed them grass only. They already control those food supplies, Corey. They don't care about their farts. When a pig uh, manure lagoon on, on, you know, with heavy rains goes into a river, a billion fish are killed. When a, when a pig lagoon, when workers go too close to it, they're overwhelmed with the fumes and they fall in and they die. You know, dozens of workers. This is really toxic manure. Oh, but, but the cows are the problem. And what about horse manure? Um, so once again, when you start doing an analysis of these things, you'll find that they're lying about the cows. Why do they have to lie? They're either ignorant or they're devious. And I assure you, after studying this for a year, they're devious. Okay, They know what they're doing and they do it with lies. It's, this is Orwell applied to farms. Animal farm, maybe instead of 1984, is what we should be talking about. And then you get into <laughs> right. social justice theory. All animals are equal, only some animals are more equal than others. Welcome to <laughs> I want to ask you one more thing, and I know Edge has questions too. So the Sorry, UN... I get carried away. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. The UN just a couple weeks ago, and I and I mentioned this in um I think two podcasts ago, they put out this uh little press release here and they said, you know, there's some good news in here. The UN on Wednesday launched an initiative to uh ex 
for accelerated transformation in food system. That's not the good part. Uh, but what they're saying is, according to development indicators, almost half of the SDG targets are moderately or severely off track and 37% are showing no change. So good, they're not meeting their goals um, and people are fighting back. But they bring up, um, you know, in, in transforming this food system, one of the things they're talking about, and I'm just curious what you know about this, is they talk about how they really want to bring in this space technology to transform the agri-food system. And uh, that they say that the profound changes underway in outer space, especially our growing access and use of low earth orbit can become game changers for the 2030 agenda. And they want to uh, harness its potential for technologies for agriculture and agri-food systems and ultimately lead to more sustainable resilience. So are we talking about like, mapping and data collection or what is it they're referencing there well and i'm not fully sure other than uh, and so i'll try to paint some broader brush strokes here and with the advent of ai and some of the technologies and who would have thought they were going to splice a pig with a soybean so right. who knows what's on the horizon but what i think may be of interest to, to you and your listeners and is somewhat responsive is some studying i did recently i was actually looking at fetal human fetal tissue research here in vermont uh, Vermont is at the forefront of the nation of allowing abortions up through birth. It gets a favorable special classification within NIH for certain types of funding for that reason, because although there are federal restrictions on how much you can pay for fetal tissue, there are multi, multi billions of dollars being invested into research facilities, which are dependent on that as a cheap resource, kind of like a mine uh, feeding a, a jewelry manufacturer. And so twinned with that, and in uh, one of uh, Joe Biden's um, executive orders last year is about bioengineering, and it extends to agriculture, and it's very similar to what you're asking about space. The common theme is techno-mysticism. I take the word from Wendell Berry. The idea that technology will solve all of our problems. It's a quasi-religious belief that the universities and corporations that created all these problems are now going to suddenly come down out of the earth like a deus ex machina and rescue us. Then what we need is more technology. Um, Stephen Hawking said that the only thing that will save humanity is if we get on a spaceship and repopulate another planet. And what he's saying is the same thing, that technology is our future. Sorry, sheep visit. Now, in order to go repopulate another planet, you still have enough economics and raw material to build all your spaceships. And I can tell you, you and I aren't going to be welcomed aboard with Bill Gates and his family when that geriatric old white guy goes off to Mars. And then we would just pollute it and destroy it again. The shift in money in the last three years at the National Institute of Health from fundamental diseases from which we Americans suffer, like heart disease, hypertension, and diabetes, that's all dropped off or been flat. Billions and billions and billions of dollars are going into these novel areas where somebody can uh, somehow graft a frog together with a zebra or something. Because in science, you have to create something new. Does it actually have to work? No. What you do is have to make it sound like it's a utopian solution. Haven't they been doing that all the time? Isn't that what they did with glyphosate? Isn't that what they did with DDT, PCBs, PFOAs? phthalates. Look, this great plastic is so wonderful. Oh, by the way, it's making all of your children and grandchildren sterile, and we can't extract it from the oceans or the mountaintops now. But look, we've got a new toy to play with. None of these technological investments are about cleaning up the planet. They're all about profit, Corey. So you've just recounted 
back to the anaerobic digesters again. Gee, we don't want to dig in the dirt. We want to come up with some new magic switch to, to get some egghead technocrat a job. And I'm reminded by Thomas Sowell's book, uh, Intellectuals in Society, in which he chronicles how a decaying society becomes led by people who are incompetent, have no common sense, are highly specialized, and it's so esoteric, the rest of us don't even know what they, and they're leading us now right off the cliff. There is that that is that a good convoluted answer to your question? That is, uh, I have myself muted, but I'm I'm literally nodding and shaking my head in agreement and laughing as we're going. <laughs> well, I'm yeah. glad people are just, getting it. There's hope. There's hope. Yeah. You're part absolutely. Of and and we will. We'll get to some solutions here. But Edge, I know you have some questions. So I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up for a minute and let you talk. Well, John is so good at just summarizing things and really bringing all of these elements together and really giving a good explanation or summary of it. So I just kind of wanted to, to pick your brain about it, John, the, the big picture. I mean, we've seen a war on food happening, really ramping up over the past few years. I mean, it's nothing new. You, you mentioned Kissinger kind of in the beginning of our talk. And, you know, so this has been going on for decades, but we've really seen it over the last few years. Um, from creating new ways to poison our food with mRNA, new classes of food like fake meat and insects, and simultaneously the weaponization of food to impose like a control system, such as like the World Bank linking food aid to digital IDs, or the World Health Organization wrapping food under their control system under this so-called One Health Agenda. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on how all of these different elements come together and the big picture of it for a single goal and what's at stake if we do nothing about it and how we can actually fight back against it. Well, thank you for giving me that sort of lob to spike because you actually, you you got my neurons firing. I actually feel like I I can never do justice to the subject and um, because it is it's complex and yet it's simple at the same time. So let me try to um, answer your, your you mentioned Kissinger. Let me tell you what I think the big picture is. And, and if I could, I'd, I'd like to give you a biblical picture and whatever your listeners or your faith is, it doesn't matter. I, I'm a person of faith, but it doesn't matter because it could be an allegory. And in that allegory, in that story, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, I believe in the third chapter, um, this guy eats an apple that his wife gives him and he wasn't supposed to eat the apple. The garden owner said, don't eat that apple. You eat that apple, you're in trouble. You guys know this story. So when Adam eats the apple, what does God say to Adam? He says, from now on, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow and, the, and, and you're going to have to have thorns in your flesh. And from dirt you came and dirt you shall return. Now, this is sort of a, a, the, the, the beginning we're told of mortality and death, but also it's the beginning of gardening. You're going to have bugs. You're going to have parasites. You're going to have aphids. You're going to have moles. You're going to have deer coming in your garden. You're going to have to go out and work. And we tried to cheat. And we tried to cheat all of that. And, and we've jumped out of that frying pan and into a fire because now we have the cheapest, most plentiful food of any society in history. And most of it is not very good to feed to your animals. You know, you just, you know, it's not trustworthy anymore because we took it away from the local people that you could trust. We destroyed our community doing it. And at the end of the Bible, it says you're going to have the third rider of the horseman in the apocalypse and you're all going to have the famine like never seen in human history. And you don't have to be a Christian and you don't have to pursue the allegory further than to see where we are. If there is an electromagnetic pulse, if there is uh, a, a major 
disruption of our nation, which could even be social, socio-political. Look at this turmoil in our in our in our cities. Our system of food distribution now is so amazing that it's at the breaking point. Our trucks are dependent on diesel exhaust fluid, which is manufactured in China, made from urea. Uh, they're also dependent on fossil fuels. And all these fossil fuel prices are going through the roof and fertilizers have roughly tripled all in two years. And those cheap energy sources are what made the green industrial revolution possible, what made it uh, allow, avail, uh, 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 permit, uh, 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 made it possible for us to have such a, a low percentage of our income allocated to food. What they don't talk about now is how much faster most foods are inflating than the underlying inflation rate. Look at pork, it was up like 30%. I'm not even talking about eggs, all right? So in the big picture, it's always been about a food control. And when Kissinger said control the food, control the people, or didn't, uh, you may recall back in the 70s or 80s, what he did do was wanted to condition third world nations' receipts of food on their willingness to administer birth control to, right. their, to their populations. So we have to remember that in the cult, of the godlike, um, even if it's Icarus, you know, flying to the sun, these people literally believe, including if you look at the WEF, by the way, go look at the members. They're DuPont, they're Dow, they're Tyson, Syngenta, uh, JPA, all, all the offenders, all the ones that have been conspiring to make us sick and dominate our food for profit for decades are there telling us they're going to rescue us. And they have a God complex and they believe that the world is is threatened by human populations. And so it's their job to save the world by extinguishing a chunk of us. And last one, electronic currency. The fiat currency system of this country, the monetary policy has been so reckless in the last few years that I think it's deliberate. We're headed for an electronic currency. Then they control everything, social credit or not, but you won't buy a hot dog without their consent. And that many would say is the mark of the beast. Back to the biblical reference. I didn't, you know, again, one need not have, be a Christian to see the uh, the dire vulnerability and dystopian future we face at the government. I go pay hay for cash or, you know, or pay for hay with, uh, with cash. I won't be able to do that anymore. I mean, there's an entire market that they want to eliminate and it's not drugs. Okay. They don't care about drugs. They're giving out free drugs now anyway, at taxpayer expense, along with all kinds of surgeries. So I, I hope that was responsive because I loved your question. That's the big picture. And how else against a global entity would you fight any more than against Stalin or Mao other than try to have a vegetable plot or a cow? Because that's the only antidote. And that's why farming is response. Self-reliance is the response to tyranny. If you can't, you couldn't fight the British in the, in the American Revolution either if we didn't have good food supplies. We did. Now we don't. And we think, oh, I got an AR-15, I'll go fight. But you only have three days worth of food where your grandmother kept three months worth of food. You better get going. Right, right. And I absolutely am on, on the same page with you about that self-reliance aspect. It's, um, you know how you kind of said two people are in two sort of camps. One is where you kind of realize the situation for what it is that, or you, you don't. Um, the, the way I look at it also is that some people just, um, they are either very much self-reliant or kind of just a leave me alone type of person or the type of person that really needs to be part of a movement or a crowd. And so we've seen a lot of that. We've kind of characterized it as mass formation over the past, you know, three years or so since the pandemic, we saw that happen, this, this sort of mob mentality 
But then there's that segment, I'd say at least 30 to 50% of the population that is more of like very independent, leave me alone. But that's there's a problem sort of in that. And that kind of leads to my, my next question, which is part of the problem we're facing is that all of these globalist organizations, the captured agencies, the mega corporations, they're all working together through public-private partnerships and centralizing control of the public. Yet the public's larger in numbers and therefore more powerful, but we're decentralized, we're, we're unorganized. How do we come together, get organized, and create sort of a separate parallel system for our food supply, for our healthcare, our financing, and et cetera, so we can resist their plans for control? Well, again, a good question. And, and I think it hits at the core of this cultural division. But I think we have to look, as you imply, at the sociological implications of what you're saying. And by the way, I want to tie this into with your prior question, because you mentioned One Health. Uh, that's something people should really watch uh, Meryl Mass, I'm writing with her, too, with a new group called Door to Freedom, a group of writers. There's a lot of material there focusing on the World Health Organization's efforts through One Health. The argument is um, we're being we're the World Health Organization. We're here to help you with health. And if you start looking, everything is health, sociology, economics, race, equity, food, food is health, food equity is health. Um, it's become quite terrifying. Sex education is health. Every child is entitled to a healthy sex awareness starting basically at birth, all right? This is on their websites. Um, so what we've done is we've become fractured. So in that sociological movement, really, you might look at the trolls in Orwell's 1984, or maybe look at the, um, the bickering animals in Animal Farm. I mean, what a great book for now, by the way. People really should read it. It's so apropos. And what Orwell was trying to tell us. Now, I see this interestingly playing out in the cognitive dissonance of our culture. So the more distant you are from your food supply, you're not like me who's trying to be a homesteader and you know has actually killed and eaten my own animals as much as that sounds horrible. That's actually how humans used to do it. And it's really not so horrible. It's way more horrible to buy your animal in a, in a grocery store and you don't know how I was treated, what it was fed, and you're just turning a blind eye. My animals don't suffer that way. But if you're on that far spectrum where you're reading Doritos or something, you know, in a frozen meal and somebody tells you that you're vulnerable, then cognitive dissonance clicks in because you don't feel like you can change your circumstance. So you actually have to then attack back. This, this, by the way, has carry over into a lot of the social issues going on right now in our culture, including even race and other issues. So if you have to attack back, then you have to ridicule the preppers. Clearly, the preppers must be stupid. Clearly, they're obviously the world's never going to collapse. And if it did, well, you couldn't do anything anyway. Why would you fight the government? By the way, they have nuclear weapons in the military. You can't fight the federal government. That's a very different thinking than 200 years ago, is it not? You know, right? You're, you're with right. me so far. So what I see happening is that prepping is not a bad thing. It's That very term is pejorative. Prepping is called being prepared or self-reliant. Now, then amongst the people who are prepared and self-reliant, a whole alarming bunch of them think that being alone and being an island is some kind of, you know, um, you know, some some last stand. Some You can't be alone. People didn't live here in the 1780s without community. Nobody can survive. You can have all the food you want. You're going to stay awake 24 hours. You need community. And so I think that a lot of people in moving into this mindset in an, in an, in an industrialized society that's already had decades of fracturing and destruction of the social bonds of community, largely rural and agrarian, they've been being destroyed. We've been battered. You know, we're, we're also being infested with this new 
um, this new medium of the of the internet, which our brains can't even function. Really, we're not even evolving at a fast enough rate for our brain. So we're in a state of kind of constant agitation and anxiety as a society, and they're preying on it. And so they want us fractured. So what I'm excited about is the homesteading movement, the homeschooling movement, the organic movement. It doesn't have to be purist organic either, by the way, the local boar movement. All of this is people trying to move back from the techno-mystical industrial compression into urban life, which we're told is how they're going to save the planet, but which in fact is accelerating their totalitarian efforts and destroying the planet. So I hope that was responsive other than I think there's a movement rising and you're part of it. I think a lot of people are seeking alternative media. They're seeking podcasts. They're seeking, uh, you know, like the Substack. I'm really excited about what's happening. I'm really, I'm reading brilliant unfiltered minds in Substack. Who would watch mainstream media for any information now? It's lost all credibility. There's no content. But I'm, I'm happy to say I've, I see the germs. I see young people moving to the country in Vermont. I see young people who want to learn about farming. Some young people are in the cognitive dissonance. And they're eating crappy food and or they want to be vegans, you know, and they're they're pretty militant about it. Um, so that division continues all the way through. But we have to organize our side. We need to divide their side, make them argue Let Bill Gates and AOC get in a battle over policy and we come together. That's why what you're doing is so important. Yeah, I think so for me, my I've been well. Aside from exposing a multitude of different agendas over the last six years, my big focus is on food, energy, and money. Because all these distractions with the elections and, uh, gosh, the is someone going to go to Gitmo? Is someone going to go to jail? And, and all the micro, millions of micro stories out there is massive distractions so that people don't get off their butt and take action and and I think you bring up a very good point that people do, they get defensive if you hit that button and it it puts the fear of, of the need to change and act, then they become defensive and they become argumentative. And so if you could share with people the story of um, how you kind of got involved with legislation there locally uh, and made help to make some changes there, you know, after the wonderful visit from the inspector i think that would be <laughs> some important that you know the local legislation as well as uh the potential prime act you know how these are things that could could benefit us well and it's a good example for people to get their their toe dipped in to sort of understand again the complexity and the simplicity of the issues this is the simplicity is buying and selling local meat the prime act would be federal legislation that would allow people within each state to uh, sell meat that they slaughter locally without going through a USDA facility, uh, inspected facility, just for in-state use, either for their customers or restaurants. I recently met a guy who slaughters animals for his living. He's going to be here soon. We're going to slaughter some lambs. And we'll be processing with a facility where he said he talked to a woman who is a USDA inspector. And she said, boy, I wish at the USDA facilities we have we had the concern and cleanliness that you show. Bigger is not necessarily better. And what happened with me, and I recommend I want to give a plug to Dave Gumpert's book, Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Food Rights, because he chronicles how large corporate interests insinuate themselves into federal government regulations 
or or uh, grants and programs that then go extend down into state legislatures and more importantly, state bureaucratic agricultural agencies. And that's what happened in Vermont. They got a huge grant of money. They moved to eliminate small farm slaughter. The funny part of the story, I think you know, is that's how I got here. I was just raising beef and they show up and I happen to be a lawyer and they show up one day and tell me I can't sell beef. And I said, well, why not? Well, you can only sell a whole animal. Well, Corey, nobody buys all beef. My cows are 12 to 1400 pounds live weight. You'd need two freezers. So that became, I fought back against them. I announced that I was going to, you know, that became my, my uh, segue into this. And I stood up and my wife agreed with me. You're a lawyer. You know what your rights are. Constitutionally, they can't do this. And we stood up and the slaughterers and the processors and the farmers came to the fore in Vermont. And we managed to push back and they were going to eliminate all on-farm slaughter, which, by the way, nobody gets sick. The animals are treated. It's the most humane way to treat an animal. It doesn't get it never goes to a facility in its life uh, to be in a truck in its life. You know, it doesn't go through all that stress. So why were they trying to ban that? And if you take that to other areas, you will find a pattern, whether it's maple syrup or blueberries or apples, of more and more regulations. And I haven't researched it yet, but I suspect that it might have been a veterinary group nationally who influenced the federal government to pass a law that I have to that I can't take care of my own cow. I have to pay more money to the vet than I'm going to make off that cow in a year for a visit so that I can treat pink eye. How about to put on a Band-Aid? How about there have been some movements in some states? I can't I can't castrate my own piglets anymore. I have to hire a vet to do it. I'm immediately out of business if I can't castrate my own piglets. And now I'm telling you it's it's well. So about the, the pink eye experience, another one this year with slaughtering is the state of Vermont is telling us who raised me that the federal government requires us to have our customers on site to watch each animal slaughtered. So I'm about to kill 10 lambs and I've got to have eight, two of them are for us. So I'd have to have eight people come from different places, some of them out of state to come watch the animal killed as wow. part of the, the federal government is not requiring that. Why is an attorney for the Department of Agriculture of Vermont telling me that I have to have my customers present when there's no such regulation? And why are they not passing the Prime Act? And why, as Joel Salatin recently pointed out, is it all Democrats stopping it and all Republicans pushing for it? The Prime Act would bolster local food production. And then the, the technocrats say, oh, no, because then you might get sick. We have to protect you. They're making us sick by protecting us. They're doing the same thing with everything from vaccines down. People get sick from eating a hamburger that has the body parts of a thousand cows in it ground together in some facility with 30,000 tons of meat that all gets to have, be recalled. You buy a burger from me and you can name it. That's Bob. You want another bur Bob burger? Why are they going after the little guys while having a, a revolving door captured regulatory practice with the large food industries? It's right there. It's so key what you're doing to connect the dots of those facts to people so they know. Because there's an entire industry, as you say, trying to deceive us about these things. That's what's happening right now. Right. And so, you, and so you got people involved on the local level and tell people how you were able to change the legislation there when it comes to selling selling your own cows, the, the meat. Well, yeah, well, well, thank you. So they were having hearings at the time and we descended on the Vermont legislature. And fortunately, we're a small legislature. I think most people in the nation don't realize there are only 639,000 Vermonters. This is definitely a place where the, you know, the, the tail can wag the dog. And I think they were pretty shocked. But there's another lesson here. Our customers came with us. The, the farmer consumer and the rural urban connection is imperative. 
I mentioned earlier, people that are disconnected from their food supply tend to, in cognitive dissonance, reject the ideas that they are dangerously dependent. Well, they are, and we don't want them to be. Urban people need rural farmers like me to sell them food that's healthy, that they can trust. And I want them to pay me a premium for it. And some urban people are moving here to Vermont and they're working, making 200 grand a year from a laptop. And they want to buy, you know, a local healthy burger to go with their latte or their fresh air. And so this is sort of a, a striving to be human once again. And so it's really important that people realize this is why they're going after cows. I mentioned it earlier. They're not going after cats and dots, dogs. There are 90 million dogs in the country. Can you imagine? It would be harder to go after dogs than guns. But dogs and cats aren't providing food. There should be a hierarchy of how we allocate our pollution battle, shouldn't there? Shouldn't food be more important and cows more important than, you know, Obama's $23 million estate or Obama's, you know, you know, we hear about this, the jet trips. Well, how about skiing? How about fireworks displays? You don't generate. That's all from China. There's nothing good about it. They're not going after the stuff that people care about. They go after me and my cows because there are only a few of us left. Average age 60, my birthday today, by the way, I'm 60. I hate to admit it, but here I am. I'm finally in Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's fine. And I like working on my birthday. I'm a farmer. We work every day. Most people don't understand what that is. Work is life. It's a good thing. And we need our consumers to support us. We need our consumers to come to the legislature with us. In fact, the consumers need us more than we need them. You with me? We have to come together or we fail. This was true against the British. It was true against Stalin. It's true against Mao. And it's true against Biden. So after he told you, I'm going to swing you back around. After he told you, you have to sell a whole cow, you go down there with other farmers and consumers, and y'all go down there, and what did you end up getting passed? Okay, sorry. So yeah, well, so what I did is called a press conference with my cows, and I announced that I was going to keep selling halves of cows, and that they could arrest me so I could prove in court that it was unconstitutional. And frankly, they didn't want to have that battle. So I met with the head of, after we did our whole, we showed up literally like angry farmers at a hearing. I think they were pretty shocked. And, uh, and it was wonderful. And people were nice, people were civil, and they listened to us. And I think they heard us. And so when I met with Anson Tebitz, our, uh, still our Secretary of Agriculture, and, and I said, look, I'm about to sue you because I was going to sue. And I had lawyers lined up and farmed at Consumer Legal Defense Fund, which I recommend, again, to people, especially farmers, but also consumers. Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund were there to help me. And I went into his office and I met him and he said, well, what do you want? And I said, well, I want to be able to sell halves. And I want to be able to sell by hanging weight instead of live weight because they were trying to make me weigh my animals on a scale rather than, you know, afterwards. And he said, OK. And, and now we in Vermont are selling quarters. We can sell quarters of animals. We've actually, you know, relaxed the rules. But all of those rules within two years were set to sunset or expire. And in many states, what I do right now, which we've been doing for hundreds of years until the government stopped us, it's illegal to do. Um, so we proved in Vermont that it could be done. Maine had a constitutional amendment. There are other battles happening, happening all over the country. Many of them are urban and relating to zoning regulations, relating to things like how many chickens you can have. All of them are the same battlefront. Food liberty. Give me the freedom to eat crappy food if I want. You'll let me do my own wiring if there's no zoning and burn myself up. Let me eat you know, some raw milk if I want. And we've made a lot of gains, by the way, as well as, as a society in raw milk. Uh, something like I think 35 states now have legalized raw milk. So when we push back, we have found we can win, especially when there's common sense and populism. 
That's so awesome. I love that story. Because you actually, I mean, you didn't even hold your ground. You actually got better results out of it. It's fantastic. And, you you know, you brought community together to make it happen. So I think, um, you know, the the local level, we've been saying this forever. The local level is is where it's at. That's where we got to take our fight. So, so Edge, did you have any questions um, before we? Yeah, I think that's it. Okay, so I give such long answers, you guys don't get to ask any questions. I Sorry. love it. No, <laughs> no I, but your I, an- <laughs> yeah, very well rounded answers. I love it. But tell people, tell people where they can find your website, your book, your Substack. Well, thank you, thank you both, and I'm humbled and I'm grateful. Uh, my my website is uh, smallfarmrepublic.com. My Substack is smallfarmrepublic. It's free. Um, I'm putting out more and more content that that tries to sort of build on the book in view of current events and maybe go on into some sidetracks that I couldn't do when I was, um, you know, in the book, there's, there's a lot there that got left out. Um, so I'm very excited about the response. So I hope people again, will look at small farm Republic. And as I announced earlier, I'm now writing also for, for door to freedom and effective today. My first article today is with, uh, as an official um, writer for Liberty nation at libertynation.com, I believe it is is about cow flatulence and some of what we discussed today and it lays it out. And so I'm, I'm very excited at how more and more people are getting this and, and you guys are getting it. And I hope, and, and by the way, I would love to talk to you more Corey as well about your knowledge of some of the financial interests behind the anaerobic digesters and other things. You're, you, you see the patterns there. So yeah. it's good to bring yeah, us would... together as allies. Yeah, that would be that would be great. I super appreciate you coming on and uh I hope you have a wonderful birthday. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just gonna go work. I gotta and, feed and, the animals. They don't wait, but um I'm really delighted I could spend part of it with you guys. I'm not a big yeah, fan yeah. of birthdays, so I confessed it just so we could, you know, <laughs> make it media media worthy. So we'll have to bring right. you back on every so often just to get updates and see where everything's at. Well, I, I don't mean to keep you too long, but I actually identify as a 20 year old and uh, <laughs> my external appearance has not been cooperative. But today my dad came to visit me. We went hiking. That's why I'm kind of sweaty. And I'm 60. And I said, the only thing I can imagine making me feel older than turning 60 was when my is if my kid turned 60. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, we just went hiking and I told him when I turn 80, he's going to come back. We're going to go hike again. There you he's go. 82. But anyway, you guys, I hope I haven't wow. kept you too long here i'm very grateful no. i hope we can do it again definitely no, no, well we definitely will thanks so much john i appreciate it all right Likewise. so once God once again you. guys check out smallfarmrepublic.com you can find john clark's book there get the book it's t- filled with tons of great information also visit his Substack at johnclar.substack.com and thanks guys for joining us today be sure to share this podcast we're on BitChute, Foxhole, Gab TV, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Pilled, Rumble, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, no longer on YouTube, so be sure to subscribe to our other platforms, and we'll see you back next time right here on Dig It.